The scripture reading is from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. It can be found on page 596 in the Black Bibles. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the layman leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The word of the Lord. Thank you so much, McWhorters, uh, for that reading, and uh, great job, Children's Choir. That was awesome. Uh, I want to thank uh, Ashley Stolberg and Echo Green and Jenny Yang for, and a lot of other volunteers, actually, who made that happen. So thanks for all your work on that. We really do appreciate that and appreciate you uh, blessing us this way. We're in Advent, uh, which means that we're in a short series these next several weeks that kind of go through... Um, the, the promise of our rescue and redemption in Christ, from our need from it all the way to the provision of it uh, in Jesus at Christmas. And right now, this morning, we are in a prophecy that points to both the need and the provision of our Savior Jesus at Christmas. So let me pray, and then we will uh, tackle this text, and uh, we'll ask the Lord to help us. Father, we do pray that you are with us now, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, give us ears to hear, Father. Uh, and really hearts to, to, to own and to understand your presence with us as we live in between the time of your first coming and your second coming and the uh, great privilege that you give us uh, for walking with one another in those things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, my name is Nakusa. That sounds polite enough, kind of normal enough. If you were in India and someone came and greeted you like that, you might think that that was a relatively polite greeting. But truthfully, uh, if someone were to say that to you in India, they would not really only be giving you their name, they would be giving you a description of themselves. Because in India, the names Nakusa or Nakushi are descriptors. 
they mean in English unwanted. So imagine you had to go through your life meeting other people and saying to other people, my name is unwanted. That was the name that their parents gave them. How does that happen? Well, for thousands of girls in India, this is a reality. Their parents, upon finding out that they are pregnant, they are excited that they're pregnant. They are hoping for a baby boy, a boy that they can one day marry off and receive the payment of a handsome dowry, a boy who will be there one day to light their funeral pyres, a boy to make them proud, but then on the day of the birth they look and a girl is born, a girl that they will undoubtedly have to go into debt for one day in order to arrange a suitable marriage, and so they name her. Who are you again? My name is Unwanted. And in many ways, these young girls grow up in exile. They grow up alienated. They grow up alienated from themselves as they are carried around by these names. They're living and breathing proof that in this world right now, things are not the way that they are supposed to be. And they remember that every single time someone actually speaks their name or they speak it themselves. You know that experience too, right? Your name this morning here may be Bill or Susie or, or Tom, but you know that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. In fact, I would guess that uh, as you've seen people walk into this place this morning or you have interacted with people, maybe there's a part of you that thinks to yourself, man, if my life was just like theirs, then I'd just feel better about the way things are going. They, they, they seem to have it all together. But you know the truth, right? That every single person that you see, every single person that is in this room is fighting some secret battle and some place in their lives. Their bodies may be healthy, but their marriages are struggling. Or their marriages may be healthy, but their bodies or their minds are weak. You may feel competent deeply, but you can't find work. You have a strong desire to love children and to rear them, but you can't conceive. You're doing really, really well financially in this season, but you have extended family issues that are putting pressure on your marriage and on your other relationships. You and I know that this list could go on indefinitely. Every person in this room is fighting some battle with alienation. Because alienation is a part of all of our lives, every single one of us. So it's important for us, I think, to pay attention to a passage like this in Isaiah chapter 35 where we get a glimpse of a promise of a future. A future promise where this alienation is done away with, where what is broken and, and messed up in this world is put back together again. This is really what Advent is for. Advent is not Christmas yet. It is preparation for Christmas. Advent is, is like walking through a dark tunnel. At the end of that tunnel, you see a pinprick of light. It's way off there in the distance. But every single week that you walk more towards that light, the light grows bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until finally on Christmas, you walk out of the darkness into the light because Jesus has come. 
And this is the promise that is held out for us in Isaiah chapter 35. Because the people of Israel in the time of this writing are in that tunnel of darkness. You see, the people of Israel at the time that Isaiah 35 was written were supposed to be living in perfect relationship with God in the land of Canaan. But because of their own rebellion against God, because they were worshiping false gods and idols and all kinds of other things, they had been sent into exile. And they were now living in a land apart from the land that God had given them in the land of Babylon. And they were struggling. And they were suffering. And things were really hard. And they started to ask the same questions that we ask when things are hard. Hey God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? Have you forgotten about me? Do you not remember your promises? Have you forsaken me? Are we going to be living in exile forever? Well, the answer to all of those questions from Isaiah 35 is a resounding no. God has not forgotten about you. He has not forgotten about you. So take heart. Persevere in this time of exile and alienation. God is renewing all things. Or as Isaiah puts in verse 4, God will come to save you. That's what we see in Isaiah chapter 35. And we see this vision of renewal under two headings. First, there's a vision of a renewed creation. And second, there's a vision of a renewed relationship. The first thing we see here is that Isaiah shows us a vision of renewed creation. Now the last two weeks, Brad and Andres have talked at length about why it is that creation needs to be renewed. Our relationship to the world uh, that we inhabit, our relationship to our own bodies, none of these things are the way that they are supposed to be. They're broken. They are marred by the effects of sin in the world. But the good news is that God in His grace does not leave us there. He Himself comes down to repair what is broken. He repairs the created world. He even ultimately repairs our own bodies. So Isaiah shows us this vision of a renewed earth. Think about this for a second. What is your relationship like with the world? Have you ever given that much thought? You know, I think there are a lot of us, and I, I do this a lot, there are a lot of us who put a lot of hope in what the world has to offer. A lot of hope in it. If we can accumulate enough material things, if we can make our lives comfortable enough, if we can give our children you know, safe environments and, you know, and get them into the right places, get them to the right colleges, graduate schools, you know, help network them, you know, all those things, then, then everything will be okay. We will be fine. But we struggle when those things don't happen. And this is because the world that we live in is fallen. It's broken. As Genesis chapter 3 says, our work itself produces sometimes for us thorns and thistles, jobs that don't satisfy us. We have high hopes for how our jobs are going to kind of meet our needs, but then they turn into kind of a grind, right? Or jobs that we love, but they come to an end, not on our own accord or work that you have to do in this world that doesn't really match your skills, it doesn't really match your potential, you, you have more to offer this world, or there's this work that is kind of repetitive and it can be mind-numbing. You know, for, for, for some of you, you wake up in the morning and, and you change diapers and you do laundry, and then by 10 o'clock, you're changing diapers again, and even though nobody is at home, the laundry pile has already filled up again. I think, it, I don't know how that happens, I think there are elves 
that that just put dirty laundry in piles. It just never stops. And the next day you do it again and again and again and again. But it will not always be this way. You see, the verbs in verses 1 and 2 in Isaiah 35 are future tense. They give us a vision of what God is going to do. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. That means that right now, we're going to walk through a creation that is not always glad. We're going to walk through uh, uh, work that is not always satisfying. And we look to the future for those things to be repaired. The Apostle Paul, just so you know, that this is not only an Old Testament kind of understanding of the way that the world works. The Apostle Paul writing after the the life, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus says essentially the same thing in Romans chapter 8 when he says that the creation itself is groaning. The creation itself is groaning and it is waiting in eager expectation for God himself to complete his work of redemption. You see, God's coming to visit his people, his salvation results in a renewed earth. And it also results in a renewed body. Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden, which is written about in Genesis 2, brought death into the world. And along with the entry of death into the world come the precursors to death that we all experience. The Bible tells us that our bodies are created by God and they are therefore very good. But listen, how many of us truly, 100%, Don't lie to yourself. How many of us actually look in the mirror at our own bodies and say, this is very good? I bet you there aren't many. I I would wager to guess none of you, honestly. Why? Why? Why is that? The problems are all listed there in Isaiah. Blindness, deafness, not being able to walk, not being able to speak. These are all representatives of the fact that like our world, our bodies themselves are broken and in need of repair. And the vision for the future is that blind eyes see, deaf ears hear, broken legs walk, mute tongues sing. All of this happens when God comes to save. Jesus comes and renews all of his creation. The fact that the Bible teaches this over and over and over and over again in Genesis, in Isaiah, in the other prophets, in the Gospels, in the epistles like Paul said, that should tell us something. That should tell us that this is probably something that we tend to forget. You see, our struggle is that we sometimes forget that suffering is a, it is a part of the world that we inhabit. It is going to be a part of the world that we inhabit. It comes to those who follow Jesus as well as those who do not follow Jesus. But for those who do follow Jesus, it will come to a very clear and definitive end when Jesus returns and renews all of his creation. In late November of 2010, a man named Steve Johnson had a, had a bad day at the office. He worked in a pretty exclusive working environment. It's where a lot of people are working today. Well, not that many people, but some people are working today. He worked in 2010 as a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills. 
And on November the 28th, 2010, the Buffalo Bills were in a tight battle with the Pittsburgh Steelers. In regulation time, the game went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It ended in a tie, and it went into overtime. The Bills had the ball. They were in the red zone. They called the perfect play. After the ball was snapped, Steve Johnson ran his route to perfection. He got separation from his defender that was trying to cover him. He was in the end zone. He turned around. The ball was released on time, and it was a perfect pass coming right at his numbers. And Steve Johnson put his hands out to catch this ball like he had done thousands of times in his life. But instead of securing it for the winning touchdown, this time the ball bounced off of his hands, hit the ground, They turned over on downs. The Steelers got the ball. The Steelers scored. The game was over. It was a bad day at the office. But bad days at the office happen. Miscatches happen. But Steve Johnson was devastated by this. He was crushed by this. And he was angry. Who was he angry at? Well, he was not angry at his quarterback. His quarterback had actually thrown a really good pass. He was not angry at himself. For dropping the ball, Steve Johnson was angry at God. And he went to Twitter that day and he wrote out a tweet in all caps that said this, I praise you 24-7 and this is how you do me. You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this. Ever. Thanks though. Period. God made him drop the ball in the end zone. And it was God's fault. Now, it's kind of easy. That that was like nine years ago, so it's pretty easy to kind of read that tweet and go, whoa, easy there, you know, a little bit. But don't we do this? Don't we do this in our own minds? Isn't there some kind of sliver of entitlement in all of the brains of followers of Jesus that basically says, hey, if you love me, God, bad things will never happen to me. Or if I'm good enough, if I do the right things, if I go to church, I don't know, three out of five Sundays or you know, or I go to Sunday school, or I'm in a Bible study, or I, you know, I'm just a, a really, I'm a, I'm a nice person. You know, these kinds of things aren't going to happen to me, right? But then you have to keep in mind a couple of things. One is this: Isaiah 35 was written to God's people, God's chosen people, who were living in exile and struggling. Romans chapter 8 that we referenced a little bit earlier was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, a church that was about to be the epicenter of a major persecution by the Emperor Nero. It was written by a person, the Apostle Paul, who was soon to come into house arrest in that city and actually be executed for his faith. You see, suffering comes to us all. It is a part of living in a created world and in created bodies that are under the effects of sin and in need of the renewal that comes with the coming, the second coming of Jesus. I say that, and I want you to focus on this a little bit, because I know for a fact that there are many in our church and many in our community that are asking questions right now about suffering about the why of suffering. For the past two weeks, 
We have been praying in our church very fervently for a young lady in our church who is at this very moment enduring suffering in her body. This is suffering that came in the form of a virus that attacked her heart and it attacked her limbs and it's been a battle. And humanly speaking, I can't, we can't, nobody can as a human being explain why this happened. Why an otherwise healthy girl walked into an urgent care clinic and ended up critically ill in the ICU. And you begin to reasonably start to ask questions. Why? This doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem just. This doesn't seem right. Why? Why did this happen? Why her? But I think one of the reasons that we wrestle so hard with these questions, and these are good questions. I'm not saying don't ask these questions. If you read the Psalms, the psalmist is always asking that question. Oh God, how long are you going to be away from me? How long are you going to let my enemies triumph over me? Why are the people that are doing evil thriving in this world? And why are the people that are living justly suffering? So don't be afraid of the questions. I'm not telling you that the questions are bad or you should feel bad for asking them. You should ask them and keep asking them. But one of the reasons... One of the things that we can kind of meditate on and sit in in these times is to actually utilize this as an opportunity for us to actually understand how deep and serious and difficult the effects of sin in the world are. Not Isabella's sin, but the sin that is a part of our world because of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Their rebellion has caused deep devastation and destruction around us, acute suffering, which by God's grace we don't experience all the time, we couldn't handle it if we did, is a vivid reminder of what we have lost through the sin of our first parents and what it is that we deeply long for God ultimately to repair. That's why I want to encourage you in this. Here's some things that I've seen. The depth and the fervency of our church's intercession on the part of this family over these last two weeks has been nothing short of astounding to me. And I fully, without hesitation, zero hesitation, no reservation whatsoever say 100% that I believe that God has heard our prayers and is sustaining her in many ways when, uh, because of the prayers of God's people, particularly when it didn't look like that was going to happen. And one day, Lord willing, she's going to leave that hospital and she's going to begin her recovery outside of those walls. Here's my question for us. What do we do then? What do we as God's people do then? Here's what I think. Because we're Houstonians and this actually makes great sense for us. Our church and me, we are, we are good in crisis time. We are really good in caring for crises. I've, I've, been, I've been here almost 20 years. And what I've seen over those 20 years is Tropical Storm Allison. I've seen, other, I've seen other floods. I've seen other hurricanes. I've seen other really difficult things come into the lives of, uh, uh, of families. And when the crisis comes, we are good. We go in and we go all in. And we go in with everything that we have. But do you know where we're not so good? And me included, I'm part of this. 
we're not so good when the crisis ends and it's just normal, regular, everyday, run-of-the-mill alienation and loneliness and illness and anxiety and depression and struggles of faith. Why? Because what we tend to do, because we're Houstonians, is that we go all in on the crisis, and when the crisis is kind of over, we've got a billion other things we have to go all in on. We have to, and we, and, you know, we have to go back all in on our jobs and our kids, and you know, all all of those kinds of things. And we basically say, okay, I'm glad that is averted. Now back to regularly scheduled programming. You know, call me, call me when the crisis happens again, because I'll be there. You know where to find me. But this is what I want to encourage you with. The regular day-to-day loneliness and alienation and depression and anxiety and struggles with our children and struggles in our marriages, uh, struggles in our work, struggles in making meaning out of our, out of our lives, questions that we have about our faith in, in God and the big questions that we have, that is regularly scheduled programming. That's regularly scheduled programming. That's normal life and as much as we like and and, and desire to kind of go in and all in when somebody is acutely when when something we can't really ignore you know kind of pops up and and, and it's right there in front of our eyes to, to see it it's great that we do that how much more beautiful would this community be if that was the rhythm of our life together if that was just the everyday rhythm of our life was to be around and be in and out of people's lives and asking questions and meeting with them and scheduling our time so that there's actually time in our in our lives to be able to do that. You have to try because we have zero time. We do. None. I mean, I have no time. None. And so we have to, we have to try. We have to work at that. But that is one of the gifts of renewal that God gives to us. It is one another. Our bodies and our lives are broken. They're being renewed. And one of the things that God has given to us to help us uh, help us not only survive that, but help us to lean into that with hope is each other. That's one of the gifts that he has given to us. So my encouragement to you is don't go back to business as usual if business as usual is simply kind of focusing on your you know your your own career your own family your know your own children and that's all that you have time for business and usual business as usual is our life together um and 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 and, and that's a beautiful wonderful thing it's one of the gifts of uh, of God's renewal each other but there's something else that God gives so I'm going to close with this there's also this renewed relationship. We long to see the earth renewed. We long to see our bodies renewed. But how does it happen? Well, it happens through God himself. God sends one to renew all things. The first thing we see is this. And this is, this is actually massive. God himself comes down. God himself comes Verse 4 is explicit about this. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. 
Now, when you look at a text like that or a verse like that, it, the, the, it's important in Isaiah 35 not to immediately jump to Christmas. It does lead you to Christmas. We're going to Christmas. But it's first important to ask, what does this mean to the people that he was originally writing to? God's people, the Israelites who are suffering and struggling in captivity in Babylon, what does this mean to them? Well, There was a time in the life of these people when they saw a glimpse of this because they actually did end up leaving Babylon, going back to their own homeland, going back to Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple there, and worshiping God. So was that the time of God's salvation for them? Yes, it was. But then as you read through Isaiah 35, you have to scratch your head a little bit and go, but wait just a minute. Wait a minute. But did the blind see? Did the deaf hear? Did the lame leap like a deer? Did the tongue of the mute sing for joy? No. So what then? It's a both and. It happened and it is going to happen. When Jesus came to the earth, all of those things did happen. There's a scene in, the, in Matthew chapter 11 where John the Baptist, who, by the way, was very close to God and a very good person, but he was also in jail suffering um, inexplicably. Um, he's wondering if Jesus was actually the Messiah because his vision of the Messiah looked a little bit different from what Jesus was doing. And so John the Baptist, who was in jail and couldn't go to him himself, sent his friends to find Jesus and say, uh, Jesus, Are you the one that was supposed to come or are we supposed to look for another? Because this doesn't look like what I thought it was going to look like. And Jesus said in Matthew 11, go and tell John what you see and hear. This is so awesome. Listen to this. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Do you see that? Jesus is saying that the salvation that Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 35 has come to roost in him. In him. God himself came and he came to save. Who is it that receives all of these blessings of renewal? Who has hope in a glorious future? Well, we see that in Isaiah 35 verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. God himself comes and he comes to save. So listen, when you are walking through the difficult, hard times on this earth, when you are sick or one of your loved ones is sick or you're struggling in a relationship or you're, you're, on your, or you're just at your wit's end because your children seem to be wandering away from you know, all of the things that you have kind of poured into them. Don't do that by yourself. God gives you two great gifts to walk through those struggles with and point you to that glorious future that is yours in Christ Jesus. First, he gives you one another, but secondly, he gives you himself. Jesus does not remain aloof to our suffering. If he did, he would just sit in heaven and he would look down on us and he would say, it looks like a real mess down there. It looks like a real mess. Good luck, y'all. I mean, you made this mess. You're going to have to clean it up. But that's not what he does. He enters into it. 
He walks right into the mess. He suffers every single thing that we have ever suffered and beyond that, even to the point of his own death on the cross. Therefore, as the author of Hebrews says, he is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. We're not alone. You're not alone. If you're a follower of Jesus, he walks with you. You have one who does not remain aloof from you, but one who has entered in. You know, earlier this, uh, a few years ago, 285 girls in India with the name Nakusa or Nakushi gathered in a small village in southern India. And they were there not to be reminded of what their names represented. They were unwanted by their families. They were there to receive new names. So one by one, the girls came forward and they received a new certificate. And on that new certificate was printed a new name. And they each had the opportunity to voice their new name for the very first time. So one said, I am Vaishali, which translated into English means beautiful. Do you understand what that moment must have meant for those girls living their entire lives, reminding themselves of what the world thought of them every single time they spoke their names, but then saying, I am no longer unwanted. I am beautiful. I am beautiful. If you're struggling right now in this time of the year, I know many of you are, some of you, for for Christmas, many of you, it's a reminder more of the things that you have lost than the things that you have gained. You think you know, everybody's telling you that you're supposed to be jolly and happy, but you're struggling with that and you're kind of feeling empty and lonely, you know. There's good news in Isaiah 35. In Christ, no matter what you feel, in Christ, you are not unwanted. You are, in fact, beautiful. That truth, that renewal, that comes through Christ. The one who came at Christmas. The one whose return we await. He comes to save. He's the one who makes all things new. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you make all things new. We pray, Father, that we would lean into that as we await your coming at Christmas. And that we would lean into that reality with those that you have put in our lives, in our church that what we would be about would be simply representing you in this world and to those who need your comfort and your mercy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.